Hello and welcome to the Holy Hour Podcast. I'm Gavin and thanks so much for joining us. We have a lovely episode for you guys this evening. Chaz and I recently had a chance to talk with Tobias Grave of Softkill. And um, we had a wonderful conversation. He's very cool, of course, and uh, very open and uh, a real pleasure to talk to. Um, we hope any Softkill fans that are joining us for the first time feel welcome too and feel free to stick around. Um, not too much cure talk in this one, uh, just as a heads up, but I think there's a strong connection in the fan base there. So if you're unfamiliar with Soft Kills music, uh, listen to the conversation, go give it a listen. I think you'll really dig it. Uh, just turned out too, after a couple days after we recorded this, they announced a tour. Um, starting in November, it was about 13 date tour, uh, at the time of recording this anyway, they might add more to it, but, uh, soft kill will be touring with the Lemonheads, my, um, secret favorite band. It doesn't really come up here too much on the, uh, on the podcast. Cause I figure there isn't too much Lemonhead care crossover probably, but, uh, yeah, I've always loved the Lemonheads and, uh, it'll be great to see soft kill playing with my old buddy dippy dando so uh yeah i even named my cat after evan dando so that shows you the level of love i have there so uh, i can't wait it's gonna be great and they're kicking off the tour here in Asheville, even on november 5th at the gray eagle my favorite venue so it's gonna be epic um i hope things still stay great and this happens because it'll totally break my heart um but uh, I can't wait. And then the tour f- wraps up in Philly, so Chaz will get to see them up there. So we'll have some great notes to share for you guys at the end of the year, hopefully, of how the tour starts and how the tour ends. So uh, lots of cool stuff to look forward to and weird coincidence there. So I love it. Go get uh, your tickets for this tour. Uh, they're available now, and um, you should be there in November. Uh, it looks like it's mostly like a kind of eastern coast. I don't think there's much on the west coast. Strangely enough, they're starting in Nashville and going through uh, the southeast, then up through uh, Madison and Columbus, Ohio, up to, I think there's a Toronto date uh, before wrapping up in Philly. So scattered dates, hopefully you're included, but um, let's jump into the conversation and uh, hope you enjoy. have Tobias Grave of Softkill on the line. How's it going, man? Uh, I'm good. Um, I'm like not totally losing my mind, um, <laughs> but I'm definitely like very, very exhausted from the last year and a half. Yeah. Yeah, I bet. Yeah. So, <laughs> not totally losing your mind is considered a win these days, right? You know? So <laughs> yeah. It it's, uh, seems to be like standard. Yeah, you know, if it's you like, can be not totally mind lost, then you're winning. The day might <laughs> might be productive. <laughs> exactly. Well, we really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us here. We're we're breaking from our all cure promise in our name here, but I don't think uh, any cure fans out there would mind that we talk with you because I think there's a lot of crossover and. Um, in fact, yeah, I'm fairly new to your music, actually. It was about a year and a half ago, I guess. I kind of 
just saw somebody that we had talked to on the podcast here had mentioned he was at one of your shows and i was like well that dude has good taste in music so that band must be pretty rad and uh went down the rabbit hole and it was cool to get like the whole lump sum of a band the current band you know like we've done in the old days with the cure and stuff where you get all these albums all at once and it's been so long since i've had multiple albums to binge out on and and really enjoying them all so so yeah that's pretty cool (laughs) yeah there's a big pile of material um i think uh you know like the productivity even pre getting clean um we seem to be making a lot of music over the last 10 years. <laughs> you know, <so. laughs> totally. It's cool to, cool to get it out there. It's cool when people find it. Um, and, you know, I feel like there's some variation in there. So Yeah, for sure. Some, rec- some, some records are for certain moods and, and times in your life, and other records might never be, but, you know. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I discovered you guys uh, from uh, Holy Mountain was helping me get my t-shirt business off the ground. Right. And, yeah, I remember and, him talking uh, about that. Yeah, and he posted uh, that Trailblazers uh, uh, shirt of yours. And I was just like, I love like the old school Trailblazers. So I was like, what is this? And I just went over and started listening to it. And I was like, I think I sent it to Gavin right away. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So that's how I stumbled on you guys, but uh, yeah, yeah, so, any way possible, I guess. <laughs> I think we're uh, jokingly referred to as Jock Doff, so <laughs> nice. I'm like, totally fine with that, <laughs> you know. Totally. That's awesome. Yeah, and uh, you know, the most recent album, Chaz stumbled across that one. I was like, yeah, they got a new album out, and, and I hadn't heard it, and it was the, near the end of last year, I guess, uh, Dead Kids R.I.P. City. Uh, what did it officially come out in, like, November, late November last year? Yeah, it was, it was late November. Um, interesting situation just in that we had um, recorded it a year prior to that. Yeah. And we're shopping it and talking to and like pretty close to signing a traditional label deal. Uh, and then, you know, COVID just, I guess, hit like a week or two before we it felt like things were probably going to be like signed, sealed and delivered in that yeah. department. Oh. Um, we ended up doing our best at a traditional album cycle, the way a label would roll one out, but did it ourselves. And, uh, I'm really happy we did it that way. It was it, it sucked to be kind of the guinea pig for what became uh, nationwide uh, shortages and vinyl compound and, and yeah. massive delays <laughs> from pressing plants and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think sometimes like fan bases don't necessarily understand how all that stuff works. But still, that being said, it was it was. Uh, it was exciting to have something like that record, which we're all really super proud of, and be able to uh, release it the way that felt right to us, you know? Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, is it still technically, are you cranking it out self-released then? Or did somebody pick it up for help with distribution and stuff, since it's, it seems like it's done really well? So Yeah, the, the record, uh, we had distribution where, you know, we were essentially sending copies, um, to a distributor to for stores and whatnot. We didn't do any direct-to-store sales. Right. Um, 
you know, there's a network that, that most people are locked into there where uh, the majority of stores have specific distributors that they utilize and they go into the computer system and they look up if they have it, right? Mm-hmm. So had we just been somebody that you had to be like, we had to be the point of contact for stores, I think that we would have missed out on a great deal of people that would have carried it. Okay. Um, so we we did jump on that, um, but we did, God, like, we did a few thousand copies, and I'd say the majority of them, um, you know, we shipped directly ourselves or are still. We ended up finally getting the second pressing a couple weeks ago and just got the rest of the jackets a week ago, and we've been packing like a hundred records a day and just ready for this to be behind us. Um, <laughs> I think, I think like we, it's one thing cause we've always self-released weird limited things like an album of demos or a this or this or a that or that in small yeah. quantities, maybe 300 copies, 600 copies. Um, I think we really underestimated how well this record, like what the, the potential of it was or what the anticipation people had for it was. Cause yeah. I don't think we were planning. I think we pressed like 2,500 copies to do, uh, just to last us like, a, like, you know, maybe six months, hopefully, hopefully yeah. we could sell them in six months and they were all gone in the first day. So wow. we were like, uh, <laughs> this is, Who's gonna mail all these? <laughs> like what the fuck? Yeah. All of a sudden, you're running an indie label yourselves, and <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, you know, it's it's it is a lot of work to like, you know, the assembly of these things, and of course, we didn't compromise um, in terms of like the packaging or the vi- we did a double vinyl. Um, we did a tip on heavyweight jacket, which is like, feels like a hardcover book. Um, yeah. it was just like this hefty, uh, <laughs> inconvenient to assemble kind of like monster compared to anything else we've done. And, um, you know, it seemed really exciting until we were having to put these in boxes and mail them across the country. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> So yeah, I don't know. If, I don't know what we'll do for the next one, but we might. We might. Uh, <laughs> see who else is down the That's cool. Well, yeah, like I said, we love the record. Like uh, we were doing our end of the year wrap up kind of thing, and Chaz was like, "Yeah, definitely my." my number one there and, and 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 i wasn't didn't know it came out yet so i dove into it after he said that and we, we got time to record our episode and i was like i think i want to change my answer it's my number one too <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, no that's i mean that's i'm so i'm so stoked to hear that um i think uh for me like it's a big deal the subject matter of the record is super personal but also yeah. like yeah. the first record that i wrote sober um, in terms of the entirety of it, like it was the first record after this, like, you know, 15, 16 year period of my life that I was really, really deeply buried in, uh, drug use, uh, opiates and crystal meth and crack and stuff. I was just kind of convinced underneath all of that, that my productivity was kind of rooted in that, yeah. like in use, yeah. like, yeah, I had to be high out of my mind to be able to come up with ideas. And yeah. um, this record to me is just like above and beyond the best thing 
that I've, that I've been a part of creating. So I feel I was like, wow, okay, cool. What a, what a cool, like, not just yeah. milestone <laughs> for recovery, but also for like, I mean, maybe I'm just getting started writing then, you know? Yeah, like was, totally. Yeah. Okay, yeah. A comforting, a comforting <laughs> to me. You know? exactly. a, nothing else that lays the rest, the tortured artist thing that you can't, yeah, you, you clearly. No, I mean, it just feels like such, it's such a trope and it's also just, yeah. just being obsessed yeah. with like, you know, Johnny Thunders and yeah. um, just these, these artists that just seem to go, hand in hand with with their addictions um it wasn't even that i glamorized it because it's not i was not i was not like the socialite mm-hmm. um backstage coke user i was mm-hmm. like the totally burn my world to the ground over and over again um junkie mm-hmm. um yeah it was not you know these blips and these these periods where music was recorded were always like I don't really know how they came about, um, yeah. but they did. So um, yeah. some people make it work better than I was able to. <laughs> kind of a miracle that anything actually got recorded got during all that time. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, well I, just, I just wanted to say personally that, uh, yeah, that album really helped me get through the, the end of last year. Um, <clears throat> I'm like... Gavin and I talk about this all the time, mental health stuff, but I'm bipolar. I grew up in an abused house and all this other shit. And I'm finally dealing with shit in therapy. And it's been really hard on opening all that, a lot of that shit. And like that album really like, I don't know, it helped a lot during therapy and just getting through the end of the year and with COVID and everything on top of it. So I just really wanted to say thank you um, for that. So, yeah. Yeah, that's am- that's amazing. Um, the, that record was therapy for, for uh, my partner, Nicole, and I. We collaborated on a great deal of the lyrics together because we had very similar experiences and stories. And I just mm-hmm. felt like listening to it, they were it was the most articulate that I felt either of us had ever been about kind of uh, processing a lot of the pain, um, you know, just carrying all these people with us that like aren't here anymore. Um, and you know, that's a, I, to say that I prioritized my mental health at any point in the past, like 15, 16 years would be laughable. (laughs) Um, but I, you know, it's, it's, um, I know that, you know, I, I believe that addiction is a disease. Um, and it was just this thing where I came to, I got clean and I said, oh my God, like I'm carrying this insane weight of sadness um, that even the stuff that happened to me as a kid that might've been a catalyst for pushing me down some of the paths that I went down. Like I can't even reach that stuff because there's so much piled on yeah. top of it. Um, just shit that I did to myself to where I don't know that I'll ever get like total resolve from like childhood traumas and shit Um, but the the end of last year was just where it broke for me you know like mentally like I kind of powered through the first chunk of quarantine and then like 
when winter hit, I was just like, right. you know, just buried, <laughs> like, like, oh my God, what is this world we live in? Oh, shit. <laughs> you yeah. know? But, uh, I mean, yeah, I think if for anybody that could connect to some sort of therapeutic aspect of the record, like, that's, like, ex- super exciting to me and also makes sense because um, that's what it was for us, you know? Cool. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. And and all the while, while, you know, the writing and stuff, there's so many great hooks and just catchiness. I mean, it's just really jumps out, you know, like I said, getting the whole lump sum and seeing the progression of your albums. Like as much as I've really enjoyed the the previous ones, this one just clearly seemed like next level game on kind of thing. I was like, whoa, this one's really just coming out blazing with these songs to get stuck in your head after like two listens and stuff. And I'm I'm a big sucker for that. So I was like on board. (laughs) Yeah. I I think we, we got excited when it was hard to pick singles because we, I kind of felt like any of them could have been singles, yeah. you know, just in terms yeah. of, um, just in terms of the direction. Or like, I mean, you know, if you just wanted big poppy hooks or like memorable sadness, which seemed to be the two, yeah. you know, <laughs> man, like whatever you need. But um, I think what really shines through on this record is, is of course we're influenced by bands like The Cure and Chameleons and, and on and on and on. Yeah. But yeah. there's also this like deep obsession with Tom Petty and with the cars and (laughs) just like having songs that hit and go to the point. And it's not that you can't have like, you know, there's tracks like oil burner and floodgate that, that are longer, but there was this this emphasis on writing these driving catchy, you know, two and a half, two, two, two minutes, 45 second pop songs. Right. Um, almost like you were just like it was a mixtape or a soundtrack to an old movie more than like a one band making one album, you know? Yeah, totally. Yeah. Was that something you kind of saw coming with the writing when you were when you guys were putting it together, or was it something more production wise when you started laying it down? You know, I I was I uh when we wrote choke choke was the first record that was more collaborative in nature. Mm-hmm. Um, I was the, I, I am the only original member. And at that point it kind of had felt like, like when we went to the choke sessions, I brought songs like whirl, um, and lost and feel the knife. And it was, one of those things where like we made a conscious decision to collaborate, um, to try to fill out as much of the record as possible. And I, at that point, like regardless of how I feel about choke, Uh the current, the current, whatever climate of looking back on that stuff. Um, I think that we kind of made the decision like, yo, this is how we should try to do stuff. Now, savior wasn't done that way at all, but savior, I wrote savior, um, based on an experience that that uh that my partner and my kid when he was born went through and when that was happening that was the first time that even though i feel like there's growth and change on the other records mm-hmm. where i was writing things that i felt were very uncharacteristically soft kill and here ironically being a band where you have to go back and say yo 
this is this discography is fucking so ridiculously all over the place. Right. But what makes it the cure is Robert Smith's voice, right? So like yeah. maybe just yeah. like step outside of your comfort zone and embrace some of these different ideas that just cause even though they don't feel like you know what people expect from soft kill and and uh savior has a very like ben greenberg's production on that is is uh perfect for that record it is one dimensional in the sense that you know it feels like this cohesive thing of a band playing in a room which right. basic tracking was done that way that's that's really what it is it's supposed to be that um Dead Kids, it was like I was bringing songs that were all very, very catchy. The hooks were apparent. It felt nostalgic. The subject matter was definitely nostalgic because we were talking about people and things that had that people we had lost and experiences we had had many years ago. Right. Um, yeah. So I was kind of seeing that, but going into the studio with Dave Trumfio, who everyone jokingly calls new wave Dave. Um, <laughs> he like really pushed. I, I don't want to say that it wasn't already where, where it was going to be sonically, but he knew how to shape that and what elements to add for it to be, uh, just this total wall of sound. Um, and like, and I mean, we kind of had pre-established and talking to him like, yo, this is like, let's try to do like, Breakfast Club alternate soundtrack. Right. Like, what would that be? You know what I mean? Right. Um, so that was kind of the joke we were throwing around, and it wasn't <laughs> until it was finished and I listened to the, the album in mastered form at the end that I was just like, oh, fuck, I think we might have done it. Yeah, you nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> you know? It's like, God, dude, this is all over the place. It's a, t it's a legit double LP. It's over 50 minutes of music, yet it doesn't, it doesn't drag for me, you know, yeah. when I listen to it, I was like, yeah, yeah. I was like, that's cool. What, a, what an accomplishment. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. That's, uh, just keeps rolling I keep waiting for like the down part of the album or something. I'm like, Oh no, it's over, which is great. And then you just started all over again. It's, uh, <laughs> I mean, we, we purposely were like, when we were doing the track layout, cause the majority, all of soft kills records have been laid out in, in, uh, album form via demo before they're even like like the track listing has already been decided okay um with you know there's obviously like an open mind to changing that but it was right. this one felt very realized but i purposely was like yo pretty face ducky inverness these things on the flip like when you're expecting album filler we purposely put what were, were some of my favorite songs at that time yeah um just like an emphasis on big hooks. Obviously, Oil Burner is supposed to be the psych-out end of the record. Right. <laughs> um, you know what I mean? And yeah. then like just actually ending with something that was like very, like probably the most removed from what people would expect from the band at the end. Like that was all super intentional. Yeah. Uh. Um, but, you know, this that's just, that's kind of like as fun as the songwriting is, is the structure of records because so many of... Uh, the records that were super impactful to me were ones that just rolled out in this way that like 
You're like, that's my favorite. No, that's my fucking favorite song. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. my god, this is actually <laughs> the best song right here. You know, exactly. Like, that's what it is. <laughs> yeah, that's always the best sign when you can't even decide. <laughs> that's cool. Yeah. Well, I spent a, uh, a lot of time over the last week listening to the Premium, uh, Premium Drifter LP, um, and Gavin and I talk about this. What makes a song not end up on an album? Like, we'll, like we we debate like Cure B sides all the time and uh, stuff like that. But what is in a vision of an artist? Like, what what prevents a song getting on an album? I I can say that. To, to speak specifically of, of Korean Drifter and Dead Kids, which are like obviously sister records to one another. Yeah. Um, like True Lies was the opener for Dead Kids for about a year and a half in demo form. Oh, wow. Like it was like, okay. oh yeah, this is definitely it. Um, this is fucking the album opener. I think the reason that it didn't end up on the album, I still think that that's one of my favorite songs. <laughs> was that my original bounce down when I wrote that song, the lead guitar was a little too loud. So yeah. even though it was like in, an impactful song, I was like, yeah. this, this particular mix isn't going to cut it. And I was too forward moving and maybe like a little too OCD to go back and change it. It could be something that stupid. Um, <laughs> okay. I I love Premium Drifter as a whole. I love all of those songs. Um, for whatever reason, they didn't feel uh, cohesive to the record at the, at, at the exact moment that it was decided, or songs like Build Your Prison Walls, um, I wrote while still fucked up on, on Crystal Meth. So okay. there was this like dark, this negativity to that. Like It was one that felt like regardless of how much we liked it, that it would be, uh, it would kind of pollute the record. Right. Um, yeah. Songs like Swept Away, I don't think we realized the full potential of. Um, I That's that's a regret. Like, that's a song that I think should have gone, been re-recorded and, and done. Uh, as much as I love the demo, I just think that, like, a big produced version of it could have been great. Um, but yeah. the majority, like, songs like... Um, Ducky, Inverness, Oil Burner, which started from, from riffs that Conrad had written, um, those ended up on the record like a week before we went in the studio. And that was probably based on me being tired of listening to the demo version of the record and going, I'm bored of this. I've been listening to it this way for six months. Let's just put different songs in there. Right. <laughs> so I went and like wrote different songs, you know. Um, it's yeah, it's, it's it's I don't know. Like I try to like, I guess I like personally just like, if you're really into soft kill, then you understand there's more than just like the official records. Right. You're gonna get it all. There's still a there's like 90 other demos that no one's heard. Yeah. Um. There's, I I kind of get as excited about those like limited those limited releases that, that navigate around all of the predetermined channels that the music industry like decides are the way to go. <laughs> you know what I mean? So if you like, yeah. Yeah. if you really fuck with us, you know, like premium drifter got no premieres. There was not even like <laughs> sent to any press outlets. Um, 
you know, it was something that we just did ourselves and it was for, it was just kind of like a document to, uh, for those, for like the diehard people, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. But I also too, like, you know, I'm, I'm kind of going all over the place. I personally prefer the lower fi stuff. Um, okay. Production wise, like my comfort zone, I can't produce a song to sound really clear and e I don't know what EQ actually means and on and on. So yeah. I produce things very low fi and it has this like warmness and this distorted sense and like ghost melodies and all this shit buried in there. Right. And I when I hear them, that's how, like sometimes it's hard to take those songs and translate them into produced album versions that retain what I think is feel special about them. So that's like kind of always going to be my comfort zone. Yeah. Let's see that. Gotcha. And you know, there are, yeah. do you think there'll be songs that will probably, you know, show up in live sets and such too? So it's not like they're cast away into rarities land forever. You know, do you think you'll, you'll play them live or. I think we'll play swept away and build your prison walls. Yeah. Um, okay. it's, it's getting hard at this point because there's so many records. Yeah. And in America, yeah. <laughs> people want you to play for 40 minutes and then get the fuck off the stage. Right. So 40 minutes for us is like, you know, eight songs. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and we have to play Whirl, and Whirl is like, feels like it's like seven minutes long. <laughs> um, but in Europe, uh, Europe, like, you can play to, for like three hours and people will still be there. Yeah. <laughs> um, I feel like some of that stuff will work its way into... Uh, into European set lists initially. Um, it's hard. Like there's, I, I like a lot of the songs for like a long time. We were kind of stuck playing shit that like, I don't think we were all super stoked on. Like there was a few songs from every record that we felt really translated well live. And we were just kind of stuck with that stuff. Yeah. Um, so I think we're going to try to mix it up as much as possible, but like we're really eager to play, play this stuff from dead kids. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, yeah. it must be really hard. I mean, there was the two sides of, you know, the COVID mess of like, man, you've got this clearly brilliant record. You know how hard it must have been to not immediately go on the road and tour for it, you know? And, and, but at the same time, too, you know, the plus maybe of your fans are really absorbing it. So now they're dying for it when you do get out there, you know? So there, there could be that. Yeah. It's an interesting thing that people like, you know, bands that released records because a lot of people were scared to. And the reason yeah. we self-released is like the labels we spoke to, um, obviously who had like big PR machines behind them and would have, would have promoted and pushed this in a different manner. Um, they all, they were scared. They were like, not this timeline. They were like 2021. And I'm like, by that point, like, let's just do a different record yeah. in 2021. Right. You know what I mean? Like fucking, let's put this fuck because we did, we were, I think, one of the few bands that continued to grow throughout this period. Yeah. Um, a lot of people went into hibernation, which I totally understand. Yeah. But yeah. living off of music, like, we had to release the record. And I think it's exciting to think, like, yeah, we, we'll get to go out and these will already be embedded into people that care about their, like, these songs, you know, into their brains. Right. Um, yeah they'll have favorite songs from the record. It's not just going to be 
the obvious cuts, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, so it's it, that's uh, I feel like it's somewhat of a blessing. It's been hard. We were playing songs like Roses and Pretty Face and, and Wanting More Lives um, leading up to the recording for a while. Okay. So that's kind of always been our thing. It's like maybe we're premiering too much new material well before it's like scheduled <laughs> to be recorded. Um, Chris Bruni, who does Profound Lore, he came to see us the first time in New York on the tour that like Savior was going to come out at the end of the tour. Uh-huh. And we played like six songs from Savior. And he was like, man, great set tonight. Sold out show. You guys killed it. Uh, kind of played way too much new stuff <laughs> i was like you, you can do that like that's like not a good thing to do you know yeah. <laughs> but you're like you know people like don't have any attachment to it yet yeah like, huh? play the hits yeah <laughs> yeah but i mean i also like grew up going to see bands that like like there was a lot of like core bands and and uh that i would go to see growing up that like they would play what the new album that was coming out next year right. in its entirety instead of anything old. Like, you're not going to get the song you fell in love with with the record before, and yeah. that's a little extreme. But, <laughs> you know, there's got to be, like, a happy medium in there. Like, yeah. you want the band to be excited. Yeah, because they're going to be pumped for the new stuff. And, you know, I always think back on those shows and love them, too, when a band, when they played some song you didn't know, but then you you heard it for the first time live, you know, then you hear it on the record later, and it's all like, that was that one, man. That's like, you know, kind of a cool, special feeling, you know? So it's like... Yeah, no, I I mean, Wanting More uh, was a big one where people were writing us constantly and going, what was the third song that you played? And I'd yeah. be like, not out yet. And it like <laughs> kind of felt like good to be like, to let somebody down. Like you got to stay tuned a little longer. Right. Like you have to be paying attention, motherfucker. Totally. Um, <laughs> you know, <That's> cool. <laughs> along those lines, do you, uh, are you, are you writing at the moment, um, for, for new stuff or, yeah, we've we've got a uh, this cat Sean Durkin who does a band called um, Weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, they did a couple records on Slumberland. They've been they're not broken up. They've been inactive for a few years. Um, he he joined the band right around I guess like around the time that the album came out. Okay. Um, and moved up to Portland and we've been pretty much actively like he, myself and, and Conrad, who's been in the band since heresy, uh, jamming and writing. I've been like going through all my old demos and pulling stuff. Um, that sound like just that I'm like, Hey, maybe this is like, should be finished or worked on or played around with. And I think we've got somewhere around like 15, finished songs out of all of that awesome um there's another like at least 70 demos that i've written that either have like a vocal melody or no lyrics at all but have music right um we're trying to find the sound um we we are actively like trying to determine what when the next record's going to happen I think we've figured out who we want to produce it. I think we've figured out when that will come out. And I think we've got, um, 
the, the right options of who's going to release it kind of narrowed down as well. So okay. we are making progress on all of that. Um, I wish that we could just release an album like every six months. Yeah. Um, but that's also like the addict in me just like wanting to constantly <laughs> be doing something. Uh, you know, like, yeah, 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 let's go again. I need the, I need the high of a new record uh, and like 10 people <laughs> saying that it fucking is important. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, we're writing constantly. Like, that's a big part of this band is, like, just being as as active and, and forward-moving as possible. You really have to be, um, if you're in the position we're in, which, like I said, is, like, I don't have a day job. I live off of the band. Yeah. My partner, Nicole, lives off yeah. the band. You know, um, we have a storefront. We sell records and guitar pedals and soft kill merch and merch from other bands that we that we fuck with um we've tried to diversify while like continuing to make art the focus and as triumphant as like succeeding in that to some degree is it's also like very nerve-wracking so you're like okay well time to write more songs time to at least be ready (laughs) you know totally have you felt that 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 the process is like been challenging or cool in a challenging way as far as like, you know, not being able to just all get together in a room, I'm assuming, and, and you know, work out these new songs? Have it... You know, I don't, I think uh, we never have gotten into a room and worked out songs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, Dead Kids, we went into a studio. Danny, our drummer, was already familiar with three of the songs from having played them live, but he was sent the demos and said like hey learn these yeah <laughs> going to the studio next week cool <laughs> um it's not we've never been the band that like got together and jammed stuff out yeah um i think this is the first time where it's felt maybe like that would be an and like an exciting prospect like like working on songs that have organically created transitions and bridges and you know pre-choruses and things of that nature that you can only kind of really at least the way my brain works Uh um come up with while like playing with a band and going oh wait what if the beat changed right there and and danny definitely injects his own his own thing into stuff but like my formula has always been like so rooted much like those those cure demos Mm -hmm. where it's just like a drum machine playing the same beat over and over again. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a verse four times, a chorus four times, a verse four times, a chorus eight times, an outro. Right. You know what I mean? Like, totally. it's, yeah. it's like, I hate calling it one dimensional, but um, yeah. that repetition has always like kind of played a role in, in like creating some sort of like hypnotic element or whatever yeah, yeah. It, it appears yeah. to be. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I think like, I think I'm. I, it's weird. It was it was hard to detox from being together as a band as much as we were the last two years. Like I felt like we were probably always on tour. Um, right. We get in a room together. We've got we've ended up getting in a room together about three times <laughs> um, as a whole band during all of this, and it's just been like. Okay, this feels fucking totally weird. <laughs> what do we do? <laughs> 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 no. 
Yeah, add, add it to the list, right? <laughs> all the weirdness. Yeah, it's, just, <laughs> it's strange. And I mean, we built a new lineup during this. Um, the band that was touring um, up until COVID hit is uh, not the band that's going back out. So Okay. Um, okay. It, it's, it's been good to have the downtime to figure that out, but it was also like, like, holy shit, like, who are these fucking people? Right. <laughs> You know, a little bit. You don't really know that somebody till you're like waiting in line to fucking shower five people in one hotel room or whatever. Right. <laughs> Surely can And you're like, I hate this motherfucker. <laughs> I hate these people. <laughs> Turns out I hate all of you. What's going on? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't, what the fuck? Why did I fucking ever do this? Um, awesome. Was that like, been, uh, oh, sorry, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, what's it like being uh, being home, like as a father during the whole pandemic, instead of like being out on the road normally or coming home and then going out? I would say that it is. It's been incredibly rewarding to spend time with my kid um, as he turned three and he just turned four. Um, okay. yeah, I haven't. I've I missed every birthday. So yeah. Um, these, I got to have these two back to back. I got to formulate a really solid bond with him. That's going to make it much harder to leave. Um, I definitely, I think I'm starting to weigh and understand since I don't like know anything about how to be like a fucking adult, um, (laughs) how much a child, you know, is really reliant upon both parents in different ways. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, being home for that has been priceless. Uh, I, my natural instinct is to be on the move, uh, no matter how much okay. exhausting, yeah. how exhausting it is. Um, I love playing music. I love playing live. It's like our favorite thing. It's been hard. I definitely think there's been a lot of existential like madness, like just like, what the fuck are we doing and why. Yeah. Do we do it? And like, cause yeah. this was just the stupidest decision ever to <laughs> fucking be in a professional band. <laughs> oh my God. Look how this is now that the bottom is falling out. Yeah. Um, but you know, in the past, I think about the past month or two, we've been like confirming our first shows back. And that's, uh, restored some order it feels like we're all ready to get okay. the fuck out and do this but uh yeah what it's gonna be a weird it's gonna be a weird world that we're all returning to like i really wonder what it will look and feel like and what the response will be yeah 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 are, now I, I have a couple of father questions just because i it's something personal for you know gavin and i um now you're proud are you proud of what you've overcome and how do you communicate that to a child? Like, uh, like I, I am four years old, but I mean, as, as, as they grow up, do you do that through your art? I mean, I mean, how do you approach those topics? Um, God, I mean, you know, I have a, I have a child whose parents, are both addicts in recovery. Um, my partner's got coming up on 11 years clean. Um, 
we both completely nuked our lives. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. like no one left standing. All family that's still around, blown away that we're alive. It's been a beautiful, bittersweet, tragic celebration internally as a family, right? Like, uh, yeah. um, you know, it's it's one of those things. I feel like I'm hyper aware of the the path and the hurdles that he'll have to navigate because, like, genetically, like he might be. Mm-hmm. It's kind of just kind of be burned in his DNA to. Uh, not yep. be able to handle what is kind of normalized by everybody around him, you know, um, mm-hmm. getting fucked up, smoking a joint, drinking some beers. Um, cause both of his parents, you know, like that immediately led to total chaos. Um, yeah. So yeah, for me, it's hard. Like I, I want to be, I want to, uh, he knows that I make art. He like, he knows that I played, that I'm in a band. He like sees it on, like it'll, we'll show him on YouTube once in a while. And he'll be like, Oh, that's daddy. Daddy's in the band. And all of the band members come around and he's like, that's uncle Conrad. That's uncle Sean, <laughs> uncle Danny. Like it's, he's normalized that yeah. this is that, like that this is like what I do. Mm-hmm. Um, he really resents the idea of me leaving. And I, and I yeah. realized that being home, what I didn't uh, I didn't think he picked up on, like, dude, if I go to the store and I'm gone for, like, three hours and just, like, running errands, like, he'll call and be like, Dada, come back. <laughs> like, don't go. Oh, and I'm like, dude, I'm here. Like, I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> oh, um, yeah. yeah. You know, you, I just, it's, it's crazy. Like, you see these kids and you're just, like, don't realize the sponges that they are and that they suck up all of this yeah. energy, good and bad, you know? Um <laughs> They soak up anger. They soak up like frustration. They know when you're depressed, um, yeah. and they try to process that. And it's like, I don't know how I'm gonna like continue to explain this stuff. It's just um, it's something that I hope that I only have to do at the level that we're doing it for a few more years before like there's maybe some diverse, diversified means of of making money. Um, yeah. But, you know, the the harsh reality is that there is money to be made playing in an independent band. Um, you just have to tour a lot. You have to, like, constantly yeah. be thinking about yeah. merchandise. You have to constantly be releasing stuff. You cannot hand your career over to uh, a lot of these, like, budget manager people that have worked their way into, like, the post-punk and whatever scene. Yeah. Um, yeah. And just expect miracles to happen because um, it's just not how it fucking works. You know, it's like you're going to work as hard as you would work um, in any other job. And as yeah. many, if not yeah. more hours, yeah. you know. So, yeah, um, yeah he's, he's a smart kid. I've, <laughs> I'm trying to take it one step at a time and, <laughs> <laughs> you know. Hopefully not yeah. destroy his life in the process. Yeah. <laughs> um, I have a, I have like a personal question that doesn't necessarily need to be on the podcast if it's not something that you're not okay with. But um, 
the savior lyrics where you say because it kind of hit me hard was uh uh uh, it wasn't part of the plan and I, i didn't answer the call yeah can you explain that to me like what what that was because i i there's a reason that it hit me personally and i just wanted to know what that is like Like, so when when nicole was pregnant um just to be i mean this is i i actually have no problem in the immediate moment um yes yeah hiding uh or, or like being honest about about the subject matter of that so when I met Nicole, I got clean. Um, that was 2016. Um, and I had many off and on relapses until 2018. So even though Nicole was pregnant and, um, you know, we were building a family and, and obviously building a relationship and trust with one another. Um, I just like, the the change in a, a, a solidified relationship with somebody that was empathetic to my condition mm-hmm. and a child on the way were in no way, shape, or form enough. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, yeah. I wasn't getting the help. I wasn't really addressing. I wasn't being accountable. Like it was an issue. So she had been diagnosed with this thing called placenta previa, where the placenta was blocking the birth canal. Yeah. And it means that when the child comes out vaginally that it ruptures that and she can bleed to death. The child can die. Um, it kind of been determined that she was going to have to have a C-section if the placenta didn't naturally move out of the way on its own. This involved several hospitalizations, uh, during her pregnancy. Um, we're living in back home in Chicago. I had moved there back out to Chicago. Um, and so we were at Mount Sinai fairly regularly. Uh, the doctors would suggest that she stay there permanently till the baby was born. It would be a day and we'd be like, what the fuck are we doing? And we get the fuck out and we'd go home. She would stop bleeding. She would have these like small hemorrhages. Hmm. So <laughs> when Dominic was actually born, soft kill had come out to play a few shows in Southern California we flew out from Chicago. Nicole decided to come out because it was still like a month and a half, two months before he was supposed to be born. Yeah. And even though it was against doctor's orders, they're kind of, I think what she was thinking was like, yo, after this tour, we need to go up to Oregon. I want to have my kid back home. Um, yeah. Chicago's a real fucked up, crazy place. And it's not a very good place for me. So, okay. uh, you know, this is a pretty convoluted answer or whatever, but um, <laughs> we're driving back to Portland after the show. Nicole hemorrhages, starts bleeding. We're probably somewhere on the five between like adjacent to Bakersfield. We're in the middle of fucking nowhere. And yeah. um, I immediately am just like, this isn't, oh, here we go again. And now they're like, stupid hemorrhage. We're going to go to the fucking hospital and they're going to like, Tell her that she's fucked, and then we're going to just leave. Because, like, of course they want us with no insurance to sit in the hospital and, like, owe them a quarter million dollars. Um, We're going to go. So, like, we got up to Sacramento. I went and checked the boys in um, to the hotel. She called me 
we got into a fight on on the phone about like you need to come to the hospital right now and i was like listen i'm gonna be there in a second and then she hung up the phone on me and i missed the call when she called back wow. i called the hospital they said visiting hours were closed I called the room. She wouldn't pick up the room call. I just like basically sat there fuming all night. And the next morning when I went into the hospital, I walked in and she goes, we're having the baby right now. Mm. So it wasn't part of the plan for it to happen in Sacramento. I didn't answer yeah. the call. I always carried the, the, the guilt and regret of that, even though in the immediate I was like, this motherfucking asshole is not picking up the phone. Why is she making this so yeah. difficult? <laughs> um, but, you know, one thing I'll say, and maybe you can, like, this isn't to condone that level of irresponsibility, but, like, until the child is in front of your face as a guy, you have no fucking idea what you fucking bit off. Like, you have nope. the reality yep. of it yep. and the importance yeah. of it and the weight of it becomes this, it hits you like a wrecking ball <laughs> in a world where, like, I feel like Nicole understood the complexity of all of that long before our child was even born. Yeah. You know, like it's yeah. like science, like yeah. nature and science took over for me. I was like, my life's not going to change. <laughs> I'm in a band and I'm going to have a kid too. And I've never had a kid and that's going to be really fucking different and cool. And it was just like, I see my kid and I'm like, Oh my God, what the fuck is happening right now? Um, yeah, so I did, yeah. you know, that, that, that song, I went into, my kid was on life support, his, his lung collapsed, I went right in, and I picked up a laptop that, that I had with me, and I wrote Bunny Room and Savior as one song, it was supposed to be one track, right there in the, in the, in the uh, room that Nicole was, was recovering in. They let us be there for five days before they kicked us out. Dominic remained in the ho in the hospital for a month. Mm. Um, and we were just in Sacramento, like fucking people lent us Airbnbs. We got to go to the Ronald McDonald house, but that was just like, I poured that whole thing out in those lyrics and they were very much, uh, you know, I was thinking of, of it, was, it was just an examination of my inability to save my son um, yeah. and maybe also my inability to save myself, you know, because yeah. I was still really deaf. I wasn't on drugs at that exact moment, but I was like, you know, the fragility of, of all of that, of these like moments of clarity through um, cold, like white knuckling no yeah. drug use or just like so fragile and stupid yeah. there's some well, honesty I, I appreciate it no I've I uh, my our, I bring it up because my pregnancy with my wife wasn't wasn't planned either and I didn't do as well as I should have when it came to being there for her that whole time because I was wrapped up in abuse from my from my father and my stepfather and all this other shit and my mental health and like what am I going to pass on to my kids because my father was an alcoholic and like what am I going to you know and there's all this fear going on and I shut down and like those those two those two lines like hit me like a sledgehammer like when I when I was listening to it and it's you know it's something that we're working on in our marriage but yeah uh yeah. I, I think, uh, <laughs> yeah, I think, I think, uh, 
it was crazy how many times I thought that I was being incredibly honest and forthcoming in a way that was beneficial to my relationship, but in reality, I was yeah. just being incredibly self-absorbed. You yeah. know, it was just, it's, yeah. it's been the hardest thing to navigate around is being like, mm-hmm. oh, like, here's an explanation behind why I'm inadequately able to do a very simple thing in my relationship. <laughs> um, but it's a really good story and it's going to do, it's going to do a lot of good for me to like realize that it's rooted in the time when my stepfather did. And then they're yeah. just looking at me like, Oh my God, motherfucker. Like yeah. just do the dishes, you know, like <laughs> do the dishes in this immediate moment. And like, uh, like that does suck that that happens, but like, Whoa. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah, I think I, that's, that's a lot of fear. You know, it's weird how, I mean, clearly it seems like you can relate. Like, the man in my life yeah. did not prepare me to be a man. Oh, abs- yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Mm. But, like, everything changed, like, as soon as, like, I had my son with me in a room by myself. And, yeah, like, I'm just like, fuck, this is real? And you're going to have to do better. And it's like, okay, all right, I got to change some way, you know? And it you know you're you're right exactly right like once you have that moment it's like jesus christ <laughs> <laughs> well you know I, I think an important thing too is uh like you're looking back and processing things that destroyed um i guess just like the sanctity of like childhood right like you're going yeah. okay yeah. i went mm. through things that took away the innocence that robbed me of that that robbed me of that peace and of, of a lot of growth that I could have potentially had. And I think the most tragic thing is where that manifests itself into you taking that away from your own child as well. Like not allowing them to have that same, Mm. you know what I mean? What you've like really put on a pedestal as being really important that you lost it. (laughs) And then you're like, by the way, I'm going to strip it from you. (laughs) I'm still a trusting child. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And yeah, I think it's important. I think that's been like very important to me is I know straight up that even though um, Nicole is around the clock aware of Dominic's needs, uh, stuff that may seem trivial, stuff that is just his basic functioning, you know, that's just yeah. constantly there, that he still looks to me for whatever reason is his rock. You know, like yeah. he's looking to me as like his as his protector. When I my outbursts of frustration and anger when the world's not going right are the scariest possible thing to him. Um, my love seems to be the most substantial to him. Um, for whatever reason, even with how lopsided the responsibility <laughs> and roles are in life, where like women carry a thousand times more weight with less less recognition, um, you know, like scientifically for some reason, like I, I hold this greater importance to our child. Um, and I just can't take it for granted. Like I don't always deserve that, but I, I feel incredibly blessed, um, to have the, the guide map of, of how to navigate around stuff that like destroyed me, that my, that my family did that literally 
destroyed me, you know. Um, I won't let him go through that stuff. He doesn't have to. He's like, got like, sometimes it feels like he has like nine grandparents from all my parents' marriages. And you know what I mean? Like all this crazy shit. But what he actually has is he's like surrounded by like so many loving beings that just adore him. Yeah. And he's, and I, I get to see him feel safe mm. naturally, instinctively. And that, like, even around strangers, and that makes me go, like, some people are like, oh, my your kid is like, needs to understand boundaries. And I'm like, no, my kid is like, my kid trusts the world right now, and I right. want to retain that as long as possible yeah. before it's, like, apparent that that's dangerous. Yeah. That's, yeah. Totally. Wow. All that hit hard. <laughs> I appreciate <laughs> it, though. So, yeah, this shit um, is, I mean... Well, that shit's just real. That shit's like the basis of yeah. Yeah. so much. Sorry, my my wife's getting home from work and the dogs are going nuts. <laughs> All good. <laughs> cool. Gavin, where did you want to go? Uh, well, we won't keep you too much longer. I really appreciate your time. Um, maybe we can wrap up with a few just kind of general questions from the early days. I was just kind of always curious of what we're... Uh, some of the first albums that you obsessed over as a kid and uh, got music kind of perked your ears up and knew that it was going to be a huge part of your life, yeah. I'm assuming. <laughs> yeah, the, 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 the first bands that were incredibly impactful to me, um, you know, Kiss was the first thing aesthetically that I just was like, whoa, I'm, th- I'm 38 years old. I existed in uh, post-heyday of Kiss. Um, horrible band. <laughs> horrible band um but like larger than life persona yeah it's kind of what drew me to music uh, my dad just to be forthcoming my dad and my uncle have both lived in like the roadie touring industry my dad is a corner house sound guy my uncle is a guitar tech uh, they've cool. done that the entirety of their lives so i grew up around music and on tour with bands um so None of that stuff interested me. Like the bands they worked for, I was like, ugh. Right. I don't care about Aerosmith. <laughs> right. um, but I like, like Kiss was really interesting to me. The first album that really felt important to me um, was probably Pretty Hate Machine by Nine Inch Nails. Right. Um, uh, actually, I would say before that, uh, Injustice for All by Metallica was no. like the first record where I was like, Oh my God. And then Nine Inch Nails played Woodstock in 94. And I was blown away by that. Um, And then I just started peeling it back. It was just like uh, X from from Decline of a Western Civilization, like them playing Nausea. Um, That song really hit me. Uh, Like Sex Pistols, Never Mind the Bullets was really important to me. those types of records, you know, like I was a, I was a total punk rock kid. Right. Um, it wasn't until I was like 17 that I really like understood the cure or like killing joke. Right. Um, I started to kind of shape myself in that direction, but you know, my probably like the first record that really blew my mind in like outside of just watching MTV and loving like psychedelic furs and the cure in theory, just like sonically, you know, right. like I wasn't going out and buying the records, but you know, Blitz was an oi band that like also just, like had some songs that like were very new wave pop. 
Mm-hmm. Um, first time I heard like bass through chorus, um, things like that, that like really seemed to grab my ear. Um, oh, yeah. all of, all of that kind of mixed together was like, you know, 10 to 10 to like 15 years old, right. you know? And when did, yeah. the, did you start, you know, playing music and realizing there's something you could create too? Was that? The first band I was in, I was 14. Okay. Um, I played bass in a punk band. I think I played like a show when I was 15 and another show when I was 16. Nice. That's, the, that's <laughs> the two different venues that you could play at where I grew up. Um, where was but, that? Uh, I That was uh, in Seacoast, New Hampshire. Okay. okay. So we were like 45 minutes outside of Boston. We had uh, Portland, Maine. We had Seacoast, New Hampshire, and we had Boston and Providence. They all had like I didn't grow up in the sticks. We had like access to stuff. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't until I like sang in bands that I didn't like growing mm. up. Um, it wasn't really until like I started getting kind of into industrial and noise stuff and realizing that I didn't need to know how to play music to go <laughs> play shows. <laughs> right. That yeah. was like a big thing for me because I was always an idea person more than like uh, a follow through person because I'd I'd found drugs too and and wasn't dealing with a lot of shit that you know was um, traumatic in my childhood and shit like that and I'm not making it's important to talk again like about mental health but I'm mm. not making uh not acting as though that was like a total anchor away from like fucking why I didn't make a lot of good choices in my life. Like I was out to destroy myself. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I, mean? like, yeah. I, I didn't pick up a guitar and write a song in standard E tuning that I ended up going to record. I, I, I had recorded a bunch of just like synth pop projects and things as a kid. Mm-hmm. Like I was playing around with sounds and textures that would eventually become what I do now but it wasn't until I was like like 25 or 26 that I like realized how to work an 8 track and um, started writing music and it just came out as this I was never trying to make post-punk it just was like what my my voice I grew up listening to the Misfits you know like that was this crooning singing it wasn't Joy Division you know it was it was like punk it was based in punk rock more than that you know it wasn't until i feel like kind of a late bloomer to all of it in terms of just like being able to take ownership of how to complete a project and not rely on people yeah huh yeah it's pretty cool that's uh it's surprising too for you know how well you've been able to to craft the the songwriting and i really you know always latch on to that aspect of songs and especially just the personal side of being able to have that outlet of you know you know conveying your emotions and feelings and stuff into the songs and use that as a a really good you know outlet yeah that's that's been that's been a natural gift to me like i'd say that that's something i've carried with me since birth is an ability to like inject my emotions and what i'm going through into words and into songs yeah but i paid a lot of attention to to like i've always liked big hooks and i've always liked pop music um but i also like not being formally trained, I think that it forced me to to create and write music in a unique way outside of uh, 
Like, I mean, even a lot of the current new post-punk bands you hear, like, these kids are great at guitar and bass. Right. You know, and because of that, they almost emulate, and I'm not shitting on anybody, they almost emulate their influences, like, too fluidly. Like, yeah. they're just too dead yeah. on, you know? Yeah. Um, I've never had the ability to do that. Right. So, <laughs> it's, kind of, it's kind of forced, because the fact that I want to work as fast as possible and the fact that I don't, know how to play instruments outside of my basic self-taught understanding of them has always made it made it kind of uniquely my own which yeah. i feel blessed about as frustrated as i am that i can't go to guitar center and impress anybody i'm still like <laughs> well at least it doesn't like yeah just sound like Bauhaus or something totally yeah that just makes it more sincere and you know that way it's it it's all you you know <laughs> I'm, absolutely I'm definitely in the same boat there so that's awesome <laughs> very cool man well um we gotta let you run there i think or i don't keep you too late it sounds like Chaz has to roll here too so uh um i hope you have a great rest of the week and thanks so much for talking to us and uh, making this work out yeah Okay. Um, thanks for letting me go off. Oh, anytime, no, man. No, I, <laughs> Thank you so much. I love it. Thank you very much. And uh, yeah, definitely look cool. forward to any new recordings and such. And uh, we'll we'll keep uh, keep the dead kids rolling and the other albums too over here. And I uh, totally recommend anybody on our side here that hasn't definitely check them out. We'll put links to everything here on the on the social media outlets and such. So uh, we really appreciate it. And we'll we'll be out uh, on tour in November and then uh, spring of next year. So hopefully okay. I'll see y'all face to face at some point. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, be great. You. <laughs> cool deal, man. Cool. Appreciate <laughs> y'all. All right. Well, thanks again. Thank and, you very much. Uh, we'll catch you soon. Have a good rest of the week. You too. Take care. awesome guy thank you so much tobias for taking the time to talk with us all you guys out there be sure to check out dead kids r.i.p city if you have not the latest album from soft kill as well as all the albums in the back catalog you won't be disappointed and be sure to go see them live this fall do yourself a favor and uh, go see them just destroy it out on the road. So uh, get your tickets now. I feel like they're gonna start. They're gonna go fast. So might want to secure that um, at the moment, right now. So um, thanks again, Tobias, and uh, thank you, Chaz, for setting that up. And I uh, hope you guys enjoyed it. Would love to wrap up with a whoa. There's some thunder going on out there. Um, a shout out. Our Patreon crew brings the thunder, literally. Donna, Craig, Jeff, Matt, Jeff, 
Claire, Suzanne, and a welcome to John. And Lisa up in Calgary who wants to give you a heads up about a cool uh, live stream that's going on from one of her favorite pubs up there in Calgary. It's at Dickens is the name of the pub. Um, But on Twitch, there's a channel where the owner, Chris, is DJing um, Tuesdays and Wednesday nights and Friday nights on uh, Twitch on Dickens YYC and um, he's uh, doing his DJ set of 80s you know music dark wave synth all this kind of stuff that we all love so check that out on Twitch like I said Tuesdays and Wednesdays at, at 8 p.m. Uh, mountain time and on Fridays at 9 p.m. mountain time and there's a really cool chat there that you can chat with while you're having a, your own little dance party so go check that out again that's Dickens YYC on Twitch. And of course Scott Solo or Scott Kruger, however you may know him, uh, co-host a wonderful Star Wars podcast called Sarlacc Digest. Check out their YouTube page where you can find them live now on Monday nights at 8 Pacific time during the new season of this Bad Bat show. They're going to be doing it Monday nights. So uh, really cool show. Great rapport with all those guys. They're all hilarious and um, any level Star Wars fan, you're going to want to check this out. So check them out on the YouTube page where you can also find all the past episodes and uh, some special one-off interviews with, you know, Star Wars authors and and actors. So uh, all kinds of cool stuff. Can't recommend that enough for all your Star Wars needs. And of course, Kate runs CureThreads.com. So we would love it if you go check that out and see all the cool original art and designs that she's created over there for Cure fans to uh, embrace their fandom with their fashion sense and see what she has to offer. Tons of cool stuff. And uh, and also check out her children's books that she's illustrated. Uh, they're over there. There's a new one called Secret Life of the Sloth that is hopefully still available over there. And uh, I think... You and your little ones will adore these books. So, go check out CureThreads.com. And, of course, our buddy Chaz at 17SecondsShirts.BigCartel.com is where you can find his Cure wardrobe and designs that he's come up with. So, go check those out and um, follow him on 17 underscore seconds, too, to get all the latest scoop on any cool new Cure shirts in the works. All right, Apple Podcasts is where you want to subscribe to follow the Holy Hour Podcast. And uh, you can also find us everywhere else, though, Spotify, Google Play, and our YouTube page. You might want to subscribe over there. There's some bonus content and extra cool little playlist that you might want to check out over there if you uh, are into the YouTube lifestyle. And, of course, Facebook is where you'll find additional material to go along with each episode and you can chime in with comments on there so go check us out as well as the instagram is where you'll probably catch the most up-to-date and uh and uh relevant news and scoop from us the holy hour podcast on instagram on top of that just email me gavin connor at gmail.com if you have any questions that we didn't cover and uh we'll hopefully catch you soon thanks again tobias thanks Chaz. and uh go go listen to yourself some soft kale talk hard